0: The 2023 Aesthetics Tech Forum Conference hosted by Octane was held in Newport Beach, California on January 26 and 27. This year's conference theme was fueling innovation in the medical aesthetic industry. Aesthetics is big business and it's getting bigger and bolder. The conference attracts physicians, investors and tech entrepreneurs who are interested in this exciting growing field. Considering the large audience for the presentations at this meeting, Modern Aesthetics Magazine was proud to be the official media partner of the forum. Today, we are hearing from Bill Karpu, the CEO of Octane, and he will be talking to Kamakshi R. Zeidler, MD, a plastic surgeon in California and a member of Octane's Medical Aesthetics Advisory Board, and Jason D. Bloom, MD, a facial plastic and reconstructive surgeon in Pennsylvania. Dr. Zeidler presented at the meeting on femtech in plastic surgery, and Dr. Bloom presented on treatment trends. Let's hear what they have to say.
1: Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is Bill Carpoo. I'm the CEO of Octane. In case you missed it, during Octane's Aesthetic Tech Forum in January 2023, and you know the intent here is really to inform individuals that didn't attend what was missed and what was discussed during that. So let me just take a few minutes here at the beginning and frame up what Octane does. Because I think as physicians, you all have the opportunity to uh, go participate and, uh, you know, attend a variety of different conferences throughout the course of the year. And ours is a little bit different because we really do focus on innovation. So Octane has uh, been in existence for 20 years uh, the events that we have are basically a channel of distribution of our content uh, and our learnings. We basically connect people and ideas with capital and resources. That's, that's Octane's mission. So one way is to deliver these through in-person conferences. During our uh, conference, our two-day conference, uh, you know, we talked about seven specific areas that, that Dr. Bloom had presented. So I, you know, I thought the idea here was that we could really dive a little bit deeper into this. So, item number one was more aggressive procedures produce more natural results. And KZ, maybe maybe starting with you. Do you want if I call you KZ on this? Oh so yeah, know each other so well. Rather absolutely. than, Dr. yeah, and, uh, <laughs> KZ is how I roll. Um,
2: exactly. Absolutely.
1: And and I know you, you you made a comment around surgical innovations or having a moment. So you know maybe we could expand on that.
2: Yeah. Um, i say, yeah, I'm, my my whole thought process is like surgical intervention is having a moment. Um, you know, in my practice, we have fully integrated plastic surgery, dermatology, and aesthetic medicine. So everything from estheticians, PAs, aesthetic nurses, um, I have a dermatologist as a partner. Um, so we see the full gamut. And I, I think coming through COVID, there's a little bit of a, a halo effect from that, that patients are opting for uh, more aggressive procedures to actually achieve a natural result. And Dr. Bloom can probably speak to this and did touch on this, that actually doing say a deep plane facelift where you're putting tissue back to where it's supposed to be and tucking the skin in very uh, gently, these invasive procedures can actually reveal a global harmony that actually looks much more natural than, um, you know, we see a little bit more in the news recently is like the pillow faces from overstuffed fillers being undone. So this idea of maximal intervention to create a very beautiful natural result is something that we're seeing.
3: Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. You know, it, we're, um, we're seeing a lot of these um, cases where people are, you know, putting in so much filler, it's because they think it's, it's less invasive, and it's just like an injectable, that it's going to make them look more natural. But honestly, in some cases, and this is more, we're seeing this more recently, that a surgical procedure without like a ton of filler or a ton of volume is going to make people look more natural. And even though it's more invasive, it's the right situation in a lot of these cases.
1: Well, okay. Thanks. I I think that makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, let's let's move on that the second topic that we discussed was really about the zoom boom and I, you know, I guess the the headline on it was a zoom boom still booms you know even though from a COVID perspective so many people have returned back to the office and i, I know just firsthand i mean i, I get depressed on a day when i'm on zoom all day and i'm looking at myself so uh, <laughs> you know maybe maybe we could maybe as, as a matter of fact I, I i mentioned that to another good friend of ours and i said what do I do? And he said, "Don't go on Zoom that often, and uh, or turn your camera off." But, but in any case, um, what do you what are you guys seeing on this? And you know, maybe Dr. Bloom start with you.
3: Yeah, I mean, I agree. We're still seeing patients in the office that are coming in um, requesting changes because you know. They're constantly looking at themselves, whether taking selfies, being on zoom. Um, and this kind of started during, you know, the time of, you know, the pandemic when we were more on on the computers. But people are getting these constant reminders or feedback of what they look like because they're seeing themselves um, looking right back at them, whether they're on their devices or their cameras. and. Um, It's good. I mean, certainly it's good for us because there are, you know, we're seeing more patients that it's just kind of drawing attention to these areas, whether they want non-surgical or surgical corrections to these areas. It's just making them more aware that things are going on that they might not have noticed prior.
2: Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, I think part part of what um the part of the nuance of this is that you know we're a culture that's become accustomed to selfies and taking photos. And so the idea of face tuning and getting a static photo of yourself to present yourself the way you like to is something um, that's become part of our routine. Um, on Zoom, what you see is your yourself in motion, which is not something that we're usually <laughs> accustomed to seeing on a daily basis in all of our interactions. So when you see yourself um, on camera, sometimes the angles of the neck, people become much more fixated on certain areas or in some ways even looking for a more natural result when they're seeing their eyes move and seeing their lips move and their cheeks move that um, I think we've seen a shift towards you know going back to our prior points a little bit more of a desire for a natural look but Zoom gives us constant constant feedback about how we look and in motion with a variety of activities in life that we're just used to not really seeing ourselves
1: Okay. So I don't, I don't feel that bad anymore then. You know? <laughs> uh, so moving on combination procedures and, you know, kind of the increased demand, whether it's collagen stimulation mixed with injections and laser and, and things like that. Um, you know, KZ, could you lead us off on that?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I would say cellulite is probably the quintessential problem that, um, this really falls into where there's been incredible advances um, and some interesting changes in the market. You know, Quo was recently pulled off the market as an injectable treatment uh, to treat cellulite dimples. And um, last year, you know, the CEO of Ravel was speaking in Octane, launching their new product, Ovilee, which is a, a targeted, verifiable subsision of dimples, which has now come to mainstream. And what we've, you know, seen is there's lots of devices, Allergan acquired technology, there's, legacy um, treatments like Selfina, there's radio frequency microneedling liposuction, um, Renuvion is an RF treatment. So it's on and on and on these technologies meant to treat uh, a single problem that really has many different components. And so like cellulite, we're seeing these sorts of things say in the face when patients come in for facial rejuvenation. You know, Dr. Blue and I are both surgeons and we're comfortable doing surgery, but we're also incorporating fat transfer for volumizing. We're using nanofat for improving skin quality and injecting it just a millimeter or two under the skin surface. We're Bringing the laser into the operating room and doing laser resurfacing at that time, and then we have practices where we have patients do everything from skincare to um, you know maintenance treatments like toxins and fillers to refine things. So it's a full circle of care, which is exciting to be able to really give a comprehensive uh, uh, treatment plan or
3: a set of services that take the results to the next level. Absolutely. So, so well said. I mean, I, I think what I always say in like the most difficult areas to treat, and you just brought up cellulite, which I don't even really treat much in my practice. Um, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to throw everything at it, um, to get the best results. And what I usually say in things like, even for the face talking about things like acne scarring, it's like Mm -hmm. synergy, right? One plus one equals 10. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, you put some, you know, biostimulatory things in it, and you hit it with like a laser. You could do RF treatments, whatever it is. But ultimately, by combining different procedures, maybe a little bit um, more minimally invasive, you're going to get a result that's better than the sum of its parts. So that's kind of how I look at it.
1: Yeah, you know, and then the next, uh, the next area, Jason, I'll direct this to you is really. Talking about minimally evasive procedures maintain surgical results. So whether it's injectables, lasers, energy-based devices, I think the discussion was all about that those are starting to approach <clears throat> uh you know a similar result to surgery. Uh could you comment on that?
3: So in in my practice and, and similar um uh to Dr. Zeidler's is that you know we we have a bunch of different um People in our office, whether uh, physicians, surgeons, uh, Mm estheticians, nurses, who all do different kinds of things. And, you know, kind of gone are the idea that is the idea that like surgery is a one and done treatment. And I tell people, because people ask all the time, like, how long is this procedure going to last? Meaning, you know, is it going to last me 10 years or seven years or 12 years? And I say, well, you always look better from surgery if, you know, than if you didn't have it. But the but you continue to age, so by doing minimally invasive procedures, number one, as this one of the surgeons in the office, I can then transfer the care of the patients to some of our nurses who are doing injectables, some of our estheticians who are doing skin care and laser, and then. So they're constantly looking better, not just from the surgery. And it makes my surgical look results look better. If, you know, we do a great surgery and then their skin looks great and, you know, they have less wrinkles from their neurotoxin. And the great thing is it keeps the patients within my practice. It maintains the results of surgery. So they might not need a, like a second surgery as soon. And the patients are happy because the results look really good.
1: So it's really a post-operative process that 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 continues the results <clears throat> that the would have gotten out of the uh, out of the surgery itself. So. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And I will say is, um, in a practice where a a dermatologist is one of my partners, we see, you know, like say different populations enter our circle of care at various points. I mean, they may come for a facial and work their way up to eventually toxin and then filler. And then maybe one day they want surgery, which is sort of the classic thinking of, you know, the aesthetic patient, Um, you know, with ours being a very heavy surgical practice, you know, much like yours, Dr. Bloom, we see patients coming in for surgery, you know, getting on our circle and never getting off. and so a lot of the, the pre-operative care now incorporates, you know, nutraceuticals and, you know, collagen, uh, particles to help boost the skin. There's topical treatments that prepare the skin. And so patients are trained to think of all of this aftercare as part of a a a continuum. And, um, you know, they may come for just a breast augmentation, but then stay in the practice for all their needs. And so this constant influx of surgical patients feeds an overall wellness, aesthetic medicine, also ongoing dermatology, minimally invasive practice, just like you talked about. And so it's very exciting.
1: Yeah. so I mean it, it it keeps a patient in your practice and keeps a patient looking well uh, with the results yeah I love that um let's let's move on to age and you know it, it appears from everything we we spoke about a couple of weeks ago is that the patients are becoming younger and more diverse and it's almost as if some of the treatments uh you know in, in the injectables or whatever are being treated as preventative uh you know from that from that generation uh so KZ, maybe take us off on this one.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the term rejuvenation is totally outdated. And I think, you know, maybe five to 10 years ago, this this term prejuvenation or like preventing problems emerged of, okay, well, this is the new thing. And I would say looking at, you know, millennials are big consumers, but even looking at Gen Z and the way they're approaching life and wellness and self-care and empowerment and life decisions, you know, aesthetics is not really about fixing something or preventing something. It's a little bit more of a carpe diem presenting my best face or body, you know, to the world. And so um, this idea of, you know, face tune has been incorporated into a sense of wellness. So not only are people, you know, getting their hair cut and getting their nails done, um, but they're incorporating, you know, lip filler and medical grade skincare and, you know, high end hyaluronic acid and toxin injected into the skin to create that donut glaze that everyone loves about Haley B without the need for just topical skincare. So I think that we're really seeing this emergence of um, a younger patient who's seizing the moment to be their best self. And um, the traditional thinking of rejuvenation and correcting aging or preventing aging, we're really seeing uh, fade away. And then what dovetails with that, I think is the sense of carpe diem and self-expression is a much more diverse um, patient who is seeking aesthetic treatments. And I think certainly coming through COVID, um, a lot of the aesthetic companies you know, took a pause and a moment to reflect on diversity with some of the social justice reforms and issues that were brought up during that time. And they've shifted their marketing. They've shifted their business strategy to meet a much higher demand and a more holistic um, view of natural beauty so it's a very exciting time I think for companies coming in the space you know in addition to physicians there's um, there's a huge kind of unmet need that we'll we'll talk about some of those things but it's an exciting time to see a
1: lot of growth within aesthetics yeah Jason are you seeing the same thing
3: Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm seeing definitely exactly what she's talking about. The one other thing that I will add that I've just seen in my facial rejuvenation surgery practice is that I used to say that a lot of these procedures, probably about 85% of the patients were somewhere between their mid 50s and mid 60s about 10 years ago. But I would say in the last, you know, three to five years, The vast majority of my patients seeking these procedures are in their early 50s. And, um, and so and and what I mean what I mean by that is like kind of lower face neck rejuvenation, a, a, a facelift candidate. And I think it's because of what we said in the the first you know the first bit is that we're we're doing more natural surgery, um, but also because patients want to enjoy it longer. They they are they're they're seizing the day. They're they're taking uh, they're taking their results and they're enjoying them. And they want to like yeah res- enjoy the results of their um, their surgeries for a longer time. So patients are coming in a little bit more early um, than I had previously seen in the past.
1: So it's kind of like be be the best version of yourself today,
3: mm-hmm. totally, and, yeah. and and love it and enjoy it, yeah. yeah. I totally
2: agree with you. I mean, I, I I, actually do a lot of facelifts or like a short scarf facelift in people in their 40s. You know, certainly in Silicon Valley, everyone wants to <laughs> be young and edgy. And looking at their necks all day long on Zoom helps them to really consider a, a more definitive solution. So that lower face, I think younger and younger patients are, are seizing the moment to get that snatched jawline. So totally agree with
1: you. So, and you know, another topic that which this kind of blends into now is, is you know, has to do with patient financing. And I know, you know, PatientFi is a company that we've worked closely with in our in our accelerator. And Todd Watts was the or is the CEO and founder. And um, you know, when I when I look at that, both of you have practices that you know probably do some sophisticated, complicated, and, and on the more expensive end of, of of some of the procedures and everything. Uh, you know, versus just an injectable or so. But what are you seeing in your practice and and maybe between the different products and whether it's an injectable on up to a full facelift of uh, a financing opportunities for people <clears throat> and those moving towards that?
2: Mm-hmm. I mean I think financing is definitely critical I mean there's always people who have the means to to not need that but I do think the shifting demographic of the patient interested in aesthetics is used to more of a subscription type of model and enjoys that as you know part of wellness and if you if you take the way that patient now is presenting this to have us really think about the larger ticket items in that way it really makes sense you know in our practice we've shifted to a subscription model for things like Sculpt. so you play you know, a monthly fee or for skincare, medical grade facials, and so, um, you know, I would, I really thought the way that Patient Five presented this was a, a, a really great way of looking at how the aesthetics market can grow and presenting to patients the concept of now you can have this at a monthly fee of X, just like you think of the iPhone, um, where you can have new technology, you can have something that's cutting edge, you can have something that's very luxurious, but that the the mindset of the consumer is on the subscription sort of a service. I mean, we see this with just like ho- home and real estate in Silicon Valley where everyone's renting and then owning property elsewhere <laughs> so that they can, they can enjoy, um, a certain experience, lifestyle, what have you, uh, on a monthly rate. And it's not necessarily this one big investment. Um, so yeah, I'm curious to see what you think, Dr. Bloom, but I, I really liked the way that patient Phi presented this concept of thinking of everything as, you know, a monthly payment and the way that the consumer is really thinking about accessing aesthetics that way.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I love this idea for the right age patient, and it really depends on marketing and who your target patients are in it that you'd be marketing this to. And, um, you know, openly, we use patient pie in our office, we offer it, um, I've been using them for a while, and I like their whole concept. But if you look at it, you know, they, um, this was just one of Todd's, uh, um, Todd Watts uh, stats, and he said that like 80% of consumers aged 22 to 44 were interested in these monthly payment plans. Well I mean that that's great in a patient who you know that's the majority of your injectables patients the 22 to 44 year old so I think that sounds fantastic what you know you pay for your neurotoxin $100 a month versus $700 once but um and and, and certainly you it, it, patients in that group in in your category kind of fall into your maybe your breast augmentation patients for me some of the rhinoplasty patients you know to kind of market those procedures to that group as you can pay $400 a month and get your rhinoplasty or it is more palatable to someone than paying, you know, $20,000 up front. So I like that I do like that idea in the right um in the right age demographic category. I'm just less weary of like a facelift patient looking at that um you know just because uh they're just they tend to be a little bit more mature patient and are using these services a little bit less frequently
1: excellent um so the, the the last portion of of this part is is really about influencers and uh you know holding their sway in aesthetics and you know i guess the data that i've seen here is the influencer industry is valued at 16.9 billion dollars and Lifestyle and beauty hold the number one and number two spots in, in terms of influencers. So what, what do you, what do you see in your practice? And uh, Jason, maybe start with you on this, you know, in terms of the, uh, you know, the sway that influencers have.
3: I mean, it is kind of crazy. We're definitely seeing in our practice, certainly social media has been King from a marketing standpoint in the last couple of years. Um, and uh you know, I, I was kind of even slow to believe it, but, um, you know, there is so much kind of, um, you know, influence or information that people draw from social media these days. And, um, we're seeing it, whether it's, they're like, they're watching their favorite TikTok star or, um, and I've I've done some surgery on some social media influencers, and I'm shocked by the amount of of patients that that come in for consults or requesting consultation for surgery or treatments just because they saw that one person online or on their social media talk about their experience. But one of the things that I thought was the most interesting is that Um, There was a study done by Evolve MKD and uh, Meg Driscoll, who's she owns this PR uh, firm. And she said that um, they did some independent research and independent studies. And they showed that medical based voices seem to stand out as influencers from a lot of the other noise that exists there, which is good for us. And when 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 she said medical voices, it doesn't even have to be a doctor, it could be a nurse or an physician or somebody with kind of some medical knowledge that was kind of explaining these things. Um, It's good that that means that we're still kind of influential to some in some respects um, and uh, and that people want to hear what we have to say.
2: That's great, because I've always wanted to be an influencer. So,
3: you know, I I, I, I follow you you
1: on Instagram.
3: So Uh, me too. Uh, You influence me. (laughs) <laughs>
2: oh, God. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think that's it, it's exciting to hear. I know from other resources. I mean, that was a great study. And, um, you know, Megan's amazing. And she presented some really great data. And it's really reassuring to see that, you know, as physicians, we are influencers when it comes to medicine and our knowledge. And I, I think that probably will bear out as our um, you know, like our moving from millennials to Gen Zs, are accessing aesthetics even more. They're they're a savvy group, um, so that's great. It's, it bodes well for their decision making.
1: K- KZ, can we can we have you comment on? Uh, you know, you did a femtech panel, and you know, I thought it was really well received and, and attended. And you know, maybe talk a little bit more about some of the things that you're doing uh, in, in that particular area and your passion for it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, as a plastic surgeon that does the full gamut of aesthetics um, and having had my roots in breast reconstruction and, you know, a family who has been affected by the breast cancer gene, I think I'm very acutely attuned to, um, you know, how a woman, uh, you know, expresses themselves and accesses aesthetics as well as surgery. And, you know, breast implants and breast aesthetics certainly is one of the things that we see a lot. So I've been very involved, you know, with a variety of companies. I had the great fortune of testifying at the FDA when they did their recent panel before, um, you know, uh, The uh, implant was pulled from the market a couple of years ago. So there's been a a lot of interesting things that have happened, you know, negative and positive within breast aesthetics. I think other areas of medicine, such as, you know, pelvic reconstruction with meshes have been riddled with some issues. So I think you have this a little bit of a a wet blanket on um, the way that aesthetics and medicine approaches women's health so the, the concept of femtech um, is something I really learned from my good friend JJ who's founded uh, a company to devote um, you know their new implant coming to market to this concept of um, being a, a femtech new uh, device and so with that the idea is that these things are designed with women's health in mind and not just for the purpose of reproduction um or um or for you know sexuality and so the way that they approach their marketing the way that they approach their business development um both with his company and then other companies is with the sense of overall wellness so when we look at breast aesthetics in particular, I think, you know, the traditional companies available in the U S have done very much a, a great job at marketing to very small segment of that a market of thinking, okay, we're going to, we're going to build breasts after cancer, or we're going to, you know, make people who don't have feel great about their breasts, feel great about their breasts. And it's been, it's, it has been sexualized or it has been correlated with pregnancy changes. And so um, it's very interesting to see the way, even like the American woman, but it it translates globally, um, sees breast aesthetics and the stigma that's associated with implants. And so the way that we see the changes happening in other parts of aesthetics is what we're also seeing in in devices designed for aesthetic breast surgery, where there's more empowerment. It's not meant to fix cancer or to correct changes from pregnancy. So this concept of like fixing something that's broken, it's more an empowerment and a self-expression that it's, you know, a choice to be more feminine, Um, not for any other reason. So I personally think it's very exciting, this overall concept and the way they're going to uh, be bringing technologies to the US in a more more holistic form of marketing towards breast aesthetics. And I think for what's exciting for women about that is that the stigma hopefully is removed and people can sort of, um, just the way that people are with lip filler now that they're open about it, that can can feel more empowered to make those decisions. Um, So it's exciting. I don't know if you, it's a, it's a broad concept and there's a lot of technologies uh, affiliated with it. I think what we got to hear a little bit at Octane is, um, you know, these new breast implants that, that, that Motiva is bringing, have the sensor technology that I'm actually extremely excited about because you know fast forwarding 30 years into the future I think some of these technologies that are like implantable it's like you know don't think of a new breast implant think iPhone and think of technology that becomes one with your body that can access lots of information can it monitor your heart can it monitor your temperature and suddenly you can have an app that you know can help you with fertility rather than having to use a device to um, externally um, gain information. It's something that could be more integrated. So for the long scope of where medicine in general is going and wellness, uh, these technologies, I think are really exciting.
1: Before I wrap up here, can I just, you know, turn it back to both of you and maybe take a minute or two is just what, what are some additional unmet needs, you know, cause I, I'd like to wrap up with some of the innovation that Octane's doing and bringing to the market. But, you know, what do you see as some unmet needs uh, that, that are out there, uh, you know, in a in a minute or two each? If
3: you could. I, I think that, um, you know, some of the things that are talked about um, that we're seeing a lot of companies try to, um, you know, bring on new products or new innovation in this area. Um, one of them is, is skin and hair, I think those are two big things. So skin quality, making the skin more kind of radiant or in, and it's sometimes hard to kind of even put your finger on how you would measure that, but Skin quality maybe better, let uh, fewer lines, better pore size, all of these kind of things, better texture um, with new and advanced skincare with some of the kind of regenerative medicine things that they're putting in it, and the other is hair. I mean not just men, but women, men, everyone is kind of concerned about their hair and and, and losing it and maintaining it. Um, so some of the, again, in regenerative medicine, that's been a huge push, I think, in the last couple of years that we're seeing. Um, and really to get something for hair loss, hair restoration in a um, either an injectable or um, something to maintain that is really, Um, I think what a lot of companies are looking to do
2: totally, totally agree with you on skin quality and hair. You know, I actually recently just started doing um, a little bit of a research project with a a company that, you know, is hoping to reverse like gray hair and everyone I've mentioned to is like, you know, shut the door. Like that would be amazing. (laughs) Imagine the quality of life change to be able to deal with some of that. Um, But the other thing I'll, I'll just say that we did talk about a little bit is you know, the, the weight loss craze and body, uh, body image and excess body fat is definitely you know one of those top three concerns and we talked a lot about ozembic and some of the controversy around it and then i think what some of us are seeing now is what people call ozembic face so almost the opposite of the pillow face of losing so much volume so it's creating a new a new problem that um, needs to be addressed both surgically and non-surgically so interesting concepts
1: Uh So I want to thank both of you for taking the time today and uh, spending it on this podcast. And, uh, you know, for those that are for those that are joining and and listen to this, um, I just want to wrap up by saying, you know, Octane is here for the industry. And one of the things that we introduced at the aesthetics event this, this year and, you know, we have a kind of a unique capability of doing this is taking companies that have come through our accelerator and matching them up with physicians and really talking about physician entrepreneurship. And whether that's a physician that has an idea and wants to bring it to market <clears throat> or a physician that may just want to join another company as a medical advisor, chief medical officer, or a board member, uh, those are things that we're putting in all of our industry-specific uh, events, uh, throughout this year. So whether it's aesthetics, ophthalmology, or cardiovascular, what we're really trying to do is take companies that have great ideas, great innovation, and matching them up with really smart people in the industry, uh, that could help them grow that business. So I want to thank everybody for joining this and, uh, both yourselves, KZ and Jason for, for participating today. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of Modern Aesthetics the podcast. You can find future editions at modernaesthetics.com or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.